Listener supported. WNYC Studios. It's the Brian Lehrer Show on WNYC. Good morning again, everyone. Secretary of State Antony Blinken is back in the Middle East looking for both short- and long-term diplomatic breakthroughs, but with both of the primary warring parties, Israel and Hamas, dug into the status quo of their war in different ways. As the Washington Post reports, Blinken's trip is his fifth to the Middle East since the Gaza war began. He's been trying to develop longer-term post-war planning that seeks to forge an agreement among Arab and Israeli officials around a unified Palestinian-led governing body for the West Bank and the Gaza Strip if a cessation of hostilities is achieved and Hamas can be removed from power. So far, Israel is rejecting any such path to a two-state solution. In the shorter term, the Post reports, Hamas has yet to offer a formal response to a framework agreement developed in Paris among intelligence chiefs of the United States, Egypt, and Israel in coordinating in coordination with Qatar's prime minister. That proposal involves a six-week cessation of hostilities in exchange for a phased release of hostages. Hamas has previously said the next hostage deal must entail a permanent ceasefire. Meanwhile, says the Washington Post, Israeli officials had promised their U.S. counterparts to end, quote, high-tempo military operations by the end of January, a promise that Israel has not kept as fierce bombardments continue. The Biden administration has resisted calls to exert leverage over the Israelis by placing conditions on U.S. arms transfers or withholding military assistance. And Blinken, says the Post, is carrying another complicated message on his trip. Even as the United States targets militias in Syria and Iraq, it is ultimately seeking a de-escalation against the Iranian-aligned groups. So we'll talk about Middle East diplomacy now with Missy Ryan, who writes about diplomacy, national security, and the State Department for The Washington Post. Missy, thanks for coming on. Welcome to WNYC. Thank you. Let's take several of the pieces in that Washington Post story by your colleague, John Hudson, one by one. Most immediately, I guess, what's this temporary ceasefire agreement that Hamas is so far not agreeing to? So this is a proposal that would seek to replicate the success of the first hostage release ceasefire deal or, or pause deal that happened in November. And basically, the idea would be to release all of the civilian hostages Um, that are remaining in Hamas custody. And in exchange, there would be threefold number of Palestinian prisoners released from Israel. And that would occur during a six-week pause in the fighting. And basically, this is a framework that was negotiated by Qatar going back and forth between the Israeli government, primarily Mossad is the the spy agency, is the point um, on the Israeli government side of that. And then Hamas militants who are in touch and you know have a political leadership in the Gulf state of Qatar. So the Israeli government, the, the Israeli War Cabinet has given its sort of agreement in principle to this. But even if Hamas comes back and says that it supports this framework, there are going to be a lot of details, potentially problematic um, 
steps within that framework that would have to be worked out and could potentially um, scuttle the deal. But basically, the overarching idea here that the Biden administration is really hoping will come to fruition it would be to have this, you know, longer term pause in the fighting and allow for negotiators to have some time to set the stage for a phased end to the conflict and then trying to figure out what comes afterwards. And what's the end of January promise by Israel to Biden about a lower intensity war that Israel, according to your newspaper's reporting, is failing to keep? Yeah, well, the Biden, the Biden administration had hoped to see a switch to sort of more targeted operations in the Gaza Strip, which would have included less sort of large scale bombing and more, you could think of special operations type of um, of um, of um, assaults on specific militant targets that really hasn't been borne out, even as we're discussing this potential hostage deal. The Israeli not military is is announcing that it's going to focus its operations on the southern city of Rafah in the Gaza Strip, where more than half of half of the of the um, strip's population is believed to be sheltered right now, and so that's raising a lot of fears about you know a, a, a renewed uptick in the loss of civilian life. Does Israel say why it won't comply with its own promise to the U.S. on this? I think there's disputes about what actually the tempo of the operation is, but what, you know, the United Nations and others will say is that, you know, there continues to be a large scale um, civilian suffering, humanitarian crisis. And clearly, you know, according to the numbers put out by Palestinian health authorities, a huge death toll. So, you know, the Israeli government has been pretty adamant from the start that they will not halt the operation until they're satisfied that Hamas is sufficiently disabled and incapable of conducting the kind of attack that um, occurred on October 7th. So, you know, there's a real tension there between the Biden administration's urgency to move this forward, to step down the operations, to really focus on not just this hostage deal, which they hope will occur, but also planning for what comes next. And that would include some sort of governance structure for the Gaza Strip, potentially including the West Bank, and then thinking about, you know, what Israel's role in future security in that in, in those two areas would be. On on the shorter term um, uh, stuck point, I, I, I guess I see why some of this dis- diplomacy is so thorny. And maybe you can explain it as a diplomacy reporter. If Hamas agrees to a temporary ceasefire that releases all the hostages, what stops Israel from completely destroying it with abandon, even more abandon? Uh, what's their leverage after that? And for Israel, if they agree to a permanent ceasefire, then Hamas and its top leadership presumably survive to try for more October 7th, as they have vowed to do. So can, can you see any path to yes for any kind of ceasefire that's acceptable enough to both sides? Well, Israel has ruled out a permanent ceasefire at this stage. So, you know, what what is on the table is six weeks. And, you know, the United States and Qatar hope um, and, and, you know, other other um, countries in the West hope that would set the stage for some sort of um, additional um, pause in the fighting to to build on top of that. But, you know, I mean, that your questions really get to the tension here, which is what is the sufficient endpoint? You know, what would be sufficient? 
um, from an Israeli perspective to have militarily disabled Hamas? Would uh, the political leadership or some of the military leadership be able to come back in some future scenario to be part of the political process if if the if the group was disarmed? What should be the you know security structures of you know a, a future Palestinian state if that were to happen, or of you know the the governing authorities of Gaza and the West Bank? So none of that has been worked out yet, and I think that this is really where you're seeing at this moment one of the main points of friction between the Biden administration and its allies in Israel. And listeners, we can take a few phone calls with questions or maybe your own peace plan uh, or ways to resolve the situation over there for Washington Post diplomacy and State Department correspondent Missy Ryan as we talk about Secretary of State Blinken's latest trip to the Middle East on both shorter and longer term ceasefire and hostage release and Palestinian state negotiations, 212-433-WNYC, 212-433-9692. You can call or text. Can you describe, Missy, in a little more detail this longer-term framework um, that you referred to that Blinken has been working on with Egypt and Saudi Saudi Arabia and Qatar? Well, there really isn't a very fleshed-out specific plan uh, that anybody has put forward at this stage. And, you know, really the Israeli government is focused on the military operation. What, you know, the Biden administration and, and Biden himself has talked about is some sort of um, revitalized Palestinian authority that would govern the Gaza Strip and the West Bank and, you know, act as a significant step forward to, you know, a, a established Palestinian state. And, you know, with the goal that the United States has always had of a two state solution. So there there has been discussion of finding, you know, the right kind of individuals who could function as an alternate leader or potentially, you know, a leader that would govern in tandem with um, Abbas, who is 89 and, you know, and and not widely um, loved, um, to say the least, in the West Bank. Um, but, you know, looking at technocrats who potentially could be acceptable um, to the Israelis and to the Palestinian people. I mean, that that is, is something, a discussion that's ongoing. But, you know, we haven't seen any very specific plan. And I think that really is um, is test. It really testifies to the fact um, to the difficulty that the United States will have in, you know, sketching out something that is going to be workable here um, and, you know, the the inherent challenges in fixing yeah. this problem that's been around for so many decades. Right. I mean, does Blinken think and do the people he's working with in Qatar and a few other Arab states think that they can come up with a blueprint that resolves these age-old questions. And I shouldn't say age-old. This doesn't go back to ancient times. But let's say back to the 90s Oslo peace process when they couldn't resolve a few different things. They couldn't resolve 
how much autonomy a Palestinian state would have over its security because Israel didn't trust that some rejectionists like Hamas uh, would continue to attack Israel from inside those territories. And so Israel was demanding some security control. But Palestinians, understandably, from their point of view, say, well, that's not really sovereignty over our country. And they couldn't resolve the status of Jerusalem and they couldn't resolve the status of refugees um, from 1948 down through the generations and those families and how much those Palestinians could return to where. I mean, those I'm just laying out the, <laughs> the issues sure. uh, that they couldn't resolve in the 1990s. Does Blinken think they can resolve them now? Well, I'll just tell you what the hope is. You know, the hope is that this somehow, this, you know, horrible situation, this tragedy will somehow function as an opportunity um, and provide the impetus uh, to both parties to, you know, really stretch themselves. And also, if you talk to the Biden administration, they will say this illustrates why the current situation, which, you know, many people had sort of at this point decided was never going to be solved, is not tenable. This is why, you know, in in the Biden administration's view, this is why it's not possible for Israel to, you know, live alongside, um, you know, the um, Palestinian um, people without a state, you know, with this kind of unresolved tension. Um, and so that's the hope. But, you know, on the other side, of course, there is an acknowledgement in private that, you know, the, the current Israeli government and the position that, you know, Netanyahu and his partners and many of his partners have publicly espoused makes that makes it especially difficult. And as you point out, more difficult than it might have been in the past. Listener writes, could you please ask your guests what is so politically toxic about putting conditions on aid to Israel that Biden avoids it like a hot coal? It doesn't make sense to anyone, or at least this person, that he can't even put conditions on the aid to require that it comply with international law. Or I might even reframe that, that uh, to even that that he require that it even comply with the United States' own demands on lowering the so-called tempo of the war to protect civilians. Well, you know, that is a subject of, um, you know, active debate, even within the Biden administration, within the State Department, the question of, you know, whether or not there should be or there is effective conditionality on security assistance and, and arms sales to Israel. The Biden administration's line from the very beginning has been that they um, have instructed and communicated to the Israeli government that they expect them to comply with international law. The Israeli government says it is complying with international law and is and 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 the Biden administration essentially is taking Israel's word for it at this stage because they say it's not possible to, you know, conduct a real-time assessment when they are not involved in this conduct in this conflict. They haven't specifically foregone um, or, or ruled out a later assessment, but they say that mm -hmm. they're not doing that right now. So well, I want, since you say, you know, from Biden's perspective, if since we're not directly involved in this conflict, mm -hmm. they don't want to put conditions on Israel. But now we are directly involved because Americans are dying in the Jordan drone attacks. Uh, did three Americans died in the Jordan drone attacks for arguably this approach that our government ap ap 
actually objects to. Do you think that um, first instance of American death by, not by Hamas, but by, you know, Iranian proxies, other Iranian proxies who say they're acting in support of the Palestinians, um, now killing Americans, does that change anything diplomatically for Biden as far as your reporting can tell? No, I don't think it does. And the Biden administration considers, considers this, you know, intensified conflict at the moment, but, but, but part of a much longer running conflict that it has had with Iranian back um, armed groups in Iraq and Syria and now in, in Yemen um, as a different, they put that in a different bucket. They're saying, you know, even though these groups are pointing to the war in Gaza as the reason why they're conducting these attacks, they so they sort of reject that out of hand and say that there are you know other long running, um, long standing reasons for that. They say that actually they believe they've been successful in containing the Gaza conflict to some extent because, for example, um, Lebanese Hezbollah has not launched an all out full scale war on Israel. Um, that they um, they discern some sort of restraint that um, Iran may be um, asking of its proxy groups, um, especially Lebanese Hezbollah, which is by far the most powerful. So, you know, I mean, I think you can have a debate about, you know, when do you consider this, you know, a full-scale regional war and where do you draw the lines between one, um, you know, sort of sub-conflict and the other. But, you know, clearly the goal here is to, you know, contain... um, the threats that Israel itself um, is facing. And, you know, arguably they've been successful there because, you know, as I say, there hasn't been, you know, a, a massive attack by by Hezbollah. Um, and then, you know, the United States, I think, is, is pretty determined to uh, narrowly target its response to these attacks in Iraq and Syria, which, as you say, unfortunately took the lives of three service members last week, um, and, and they feel confident that Iran also does not want a big war right now. So so that's the strategy right now. And I just think it's too soon to say how well that would work. As, as you and your listeners will know, there's always the possibility of miscalculation um, when you get into these kinds of situations. And, um, you know, things could spiral out of control. Iman in Brooklyn, you're on WNYC. Hi, Iman. Thank you for calling in. Uh, hi, Brian. Hi, Missy. <clears throat> Sorry, I have a little bit of a flu. Um, I'm calling because I have a friend who has, um, I'm Palestinian American. I have a friend who has family in Gaza. His family is trapped there. Over a hundred members of his family have been killed by Israeli airstrikes. Um, the youngest, I think, being two months old and the oldest being in his 70s. So I think it was four generations of his family that were uh, killed by Israeli airstrikes. So he actually met with Secretary Blinken last week, and he told Secretary Blinken what happened to his family. And um, Secretary Blinken actually met with uh, altogether six Palestinian families. And they told him what happened to their families and what is continuing to happen to their families. And Blinken was not hopeful. That is what they said, that he was not hopeful that anything would change. And I guess my question is, if we are the ones who give all this aid to Israel, why are we giving them the aid and the weapons to kill 
people there. And as also a, a Palestinian who has family in the West Bank, I would really like it if you guys, you guys or the news media, would always please put into context that this did not start on October 7th. You know, Brian, this started years ago. I lived there in 1986, and Palestinians were being killed by Israel. Again, I used to pick up the tear gas that they threw at me as a teenager, and the tear gas the Israelis used always said, made in the USA. So it's our tax dollars that are paying to kill and maim and hurt and imprison Palestinians. Why can't we just tell them if we give you the weapons, you cannot keep hurting Palestinians. You cannot keep killing Palestinians, imprisoning Palestinians. Iman, thank you. And it's almost a rhetorical question, but I did ask you basically the same question earlier. Why is it so hard for Biden uh, to say, if we're giving you the money, you can't keep pal- keep killing Palestinians, let's say at least in a way that the United States does not approve of? Well, it's, it's, it's a good question. The, the response has been that they believe that Israel is taking Israel's military is taking some at least some sort of precautions to avoid civilian casualties. They say that it hasn't been successful in every case, but you know, going back to the reason for giving aid, you know, the I mean it goes back to the historical relationship between the United States and Israel, you know, um the establishment of Israel, the United States was the first country to recognize the state of Israel. Um, you know, the longstanding, you know, um, religious ties. And, you know, President Biden himself is a big part of this right now. You know, we're seeing, I mean, that has been a bipartisan um, priority as long as, um, you know, any of us can remember. And, and I think in this current situation, despite the fact that there has been pretty, there have been pretty frosty ties between Biden and Netanyahu, and, you know, a lot of you know, pretty vocal criticism of the policies that Netanyahu's government has undertaken vis-a-vis, you know, it's it's um, what's happening uh, with settlers, what's happening with the uh, judicial uh, reform proposals and all of that. You know, Biden has, uh, I think it's personal for him, and he talks a lot about, you know, his visit um, way back when with Golda Meir, and he talks about, you know, he calls, he's called himself a Zionist. Um, you know, he's, he's, um, I think very much identifies with um, the story of the of, of the state of Israel. And I think we're seeing that really here play out um, the confluence of that and then the sort of institutional and longstanding bipartisan political priorities here. Um, but, you know, it's it's a really good question about how that will evolve over time, how this conflict will shape that. Will there be, you know, will another future Democratic president have the same feelings as Biden? What does the sort of generational changes, what do the general sh- generational changes that we're seeing within the Democratic Party specifically and the pushback that Biden is getting for his support for Israel and, and you know, the, the um, military aid, what will that mean for the future? I think that that's a very um, uh, live question. Um, does Blinken signal at all? what a longer-term two-state solution plan that he's trying to get everybody to yes on would mandate for the West Bank, um, 
that's something that Biden did just do recently, blocked at least a few, I think just four individuals, right, um, Israeli West Bank settlers from coming to the United States because of attacks on Palestinians there. But there's the larger question of the expanding Israeli settlements and widely reported harassment of Palestinians and, um, you know, increasing apparent reluctance of Israelis to make uh, land for peace deals involving the West Bank. I'm I'm curious because things are, you know, pretty more advanced in that direction than they were during the Oslo peace process in uh, the 1990s. There would be a lot more of removal of settlers um, that's needed to be done. Does Blinken have a plan for that? Uh, I think the answer is no, there's been no plan that's been put forward. um, And, you know, that they may be working on something, but clearly the, you know, the, the realities on the ground make it all much more difficult than it would have been 20 years ago. For sure. Um, and but, you know, I think the moves that we saw against the settlers are really one indication of this kind of um, two track approach that the Biden administration is taking here, which is to you know identify the areas that is willing to be publicly critical and, and, and also privately critical, which is, you know, some elements of the conduct of the war, the civilian casualties, the restrictions on aid and all of that. And, and then, you know, and then on the West Bank side, the the, the settler violence, um, and that is sort of twinned with this uh, overarching affirmation, you know, of the, um, you know, unquestioned commitment to Israel's security. And, and, and I think we're seeing the tension between those two things right now. One thing I want to just add from earlier, getting back to the question of security assistance and Israel's compliance with international law. You know, one interesting thing that we're seeing right now is that Congress is is more active on this than the administration. So basically, some members of Congress are trying to force the administration's hand and are putting forward legislative proposals to, um, you know, have more put more teeth into existing elements of American law in, you know, requiring checking of countries that we give arms to to make sure that they're complying rather than you know the current situation where there isn't really a mechanism um, for that proactively. So last question on this current trip to the region, more shuttle diplomacy by Secretary of State Blinken. Um, what does he hope to come out with in the short term? Anything that you're expecting to hear from him or a central question that you would ask uh, when this several day mission ends? I think the, the near-term goal is to um, get to the this, the hostage deal um, and the six-week pause in fighting, and then the hope is to use that to, to lay the groundwork for, for a longer-term uh, uh, path to, to stabilization and potentially some sort of political process. And on that one, it's Hamas at the moment saying no. Uh, as you were describing earlier, uh, who's putting leverage on Hamas for that six-week ceasefire and hostage exchange, and with what incentives or threats? Well, you know the the Qatari government, you know, has some leverage. I don't think they have, you know, um, full leverage over Hamas. You know, they have an interest in in halting the fighting. They've said for a long time that they want a ceasefire. It would benefit them. Um, so, you know, they have an interest in getting out, you know, they're going to get, it's a three to one ratio of the prisoner releases. So they would get out a lot of 
um, prisoners from Israeli jails. Um, and then they have an interest in stopping the fighting, obviously. So I think that that's, those are the incentives for Hamas. Missy Ryan covers diplomacy, national security, and the State Department for The Washington Post. Thank you very much for updating us. Thank you.